pills make me wanna shout. Kick your heels up and shout. Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills preview podcast, here from the Bills Backers of Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lars. Joining me tonight, the president of Chicago Bills Backers, Sujit. Say hello. I like to eat. And uh, uh, the uh, the rose between two thorns, Cassie Hutton, is here this evening. Good evening. And rounding out the crew, Billy the Kid Nichols joins us as well. What's up? So a, uh, a terrible, terrible loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get into that. Uh, but uh, six very winnable games coming up. Uh, Billsandbeers.com is the best place to find us. We're going to get right into it today. Thank you so much for listening. Tell all your friends. Tell everybody you know in Bills Nation. Subscribe on iTunes. Go Bills. Let's go Buffalo. Let's go Buffalo. Let's go Buffalo. A devastating loss on Sunday to the still undefeated Kansas City Chiefs. Going into that game, I was quite confident that on Sunday morning I had a premonition that we were going to lose a game knowing that we should have won the game and that we did everything to win the game, but it would have been one or two dumb plays that kept us from getting the W. And that is precisely... That's quite a premonition. That's never happened. Oh, yeah, right? No, never. You can't look at one or two plays and say, well, that was all the difference. Sujit was not with us. He was in Washington. He'd like to give a quick shout-out to the Chicago... Excuse me, the Washington, D.C. Bills backers. Great organization down at Laughing Man Tavern uh, down on G Street. Uh, Anyone that is in the D.C. area definitely needs to go check that out. I think it's somewhere between 13th and 14th on G Street. Um, Great group of guys. Uh, I mean, the place is huge, and every single room is just filled with Bills backers. So, uh, great experience. I got a free T-shirt. Wow. Uh, they got a, they got a nice. Uh, that's they, more free stuff than you've gotten in twelve years. And that's definitely more free stuff than I've given away to the rest of our Bills backers. So, uh, yeah, it's a great place. Thank you very much for being such good hosts. Now, uh, we watched the game at Billy's Place on Sunday because it was the nationally televised game, or at least we got it here in the Chicago market. Uh, and we had a visit from Jam and Jeff Day, a Bills and Beers founder who's now joining us from Minneapolis. Jeff, I hope you're listening. Hope the weather's nice wherever you are. And we had a very large Domino's pizza order. Uh, I'm sure you still have leftovers of the crappy, what was a jalapeno green pepper <laughs> pizza that we knew nobody was going to eat, and I'm sure you have probably, what, a pizza and half of that left now? I uh, actually had uh, four slices tonight. Of that, of the bad pizza? <laughs> of the, no, there was a pepperoni sausage left. I threw out, maybe maybe that's what it was. It was something that looked bad. It was Arnold's pizza. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then there was a couple um, barbecue chicken, uh, green peppers that were left. Yeah, well, um, back... Very good, though. Back, it was a good order, and it's... Like everyone always has the same reaction when they have Domino's, which is... Wow. This wow, is a lot better is, than I expected. This is good. This is yeah. Oh yeah, this is this is really good. Since they went whole hog on the garlic crust, it's it's kind of tough to pass up, but uh it was a pretty miserable Sunday um all things considered. Two defensive touchdowns for the Kansas City Chiefs was the difference in the game. Of course, the most glaring one being the third and one goal line interception for a 100-yard take back on a player who had been juked so badly by Stevie Johnson that he was literally falling over and fell into the interception. It just doesn't get any more heartbreaking. So with that in mind, Cassie, I'm actually going to eliminate him from the running. So take Jeff Tool out of the equation because it's so blatantly apparent that he was the Genesee Cream Ale Bummer of the Week. Let me know who else on this team didn't bring it when we needed him to. Scott Chandler. Easy. 
Key drop, first time he was targeted in the uh, first quarter. Another key drop in the third quarter. Just overall, you know, wasn't there. And you know what? I'm going to blame him for the reason why Jeff Toole overthrew him by 15 yards over his head. I, I don't know why. I know it's not his fault. but Definitely was not. I, I know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to play the blame since uh, Jeff Toole was out of the running on that one. Okay. Suja, coming over to you. I know you want to badmouth Jeff Toole, so I'm not going to prevent you from doing so. So uh, just try to keep it a little even-handed uh, as you get to your non-Jeff Toole, Genesee Cremo Bummer of the Week. So... The only reason why I want to bag on Jeff Tool is because I was so singing his praises last week, and I feel like such he an idiot. An otherwise, great game. He I mean, did. no, those overthrows were were worse than some of the overthrows. Free agent I don't care. If you are a starting NFL quarterback, it doesn't matter where you came from. If if you know. Fine, that's fine. He's not good enough. Then it's uh, then we should blame our coaches. He's not a starting quarterback. He was a quarterback that was left in some weird nether region because our coaches didn't want to put him on practice. Absolutely, absolutely. But he was he is a starting quarterback because he started an NFL game, okay. and so that may be a problem with the coaches that maybe they should have recognized that. Who knows? Maybe Matt Flynn has shoulder issues. Maybe he is you know not good. But you know his his career stats are a heck of a lot better than Jeff Tools are. Um, you know he has something like like his. Touchdown to interception ratio is like two to one. Right, but um, you know what he doesn't have right now an NFL an NFL right job. Now. Well, I don't know. With with uh, Brett Favre going down, there may be there with may be Rogers, some stirrings. Yeah, no, oh, sorry, with uh, Rodgers going down. But um, you know, the only thing that frustrated me is because I was so hot on Jeff Tool and said that you know he definitely has not shown that he's a bad quarterback. And at least as of right now in his career, he is a bad quarterback when it comes to NFL standards. And let's be honest, he wasn't a great quarterback in college. It's not like no, he was bad. In you college. know, so um, I just don't understand what's happening. Why everyone loves Jeff Tool? Um, but anyways, uh, my Genesee Cream Ale player of the game is T.J. Effing Graham. Yeah. I mean. Bummer of the week. Bummer. What did I say? Your player, player, but yeah, we know. Yeah, that. loser. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just getting tired of seeing TJ Graham on the field. He's giving me, <laughs> the kids he's he's giving me shades of Roscoe Parrish. You know, and and uh, the one thing is the the thing that's the worst thing about TJ Graham is that he gets open and then can't catch the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing you don't never get open because then no one throws the ball to you, and so we don't waste a pass on you. But if you're that wide open. You got to catch the ball, you know, and it, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, on those deep routes, I understand that Tool was underthrowing the ball, and, and, and I don't blame him for those, but it's those middle of the field routes where he's wide open and he's just not catching balls. And, you know, I feel like when I saw Marquise Goodwin play in the preseason, I felt like that's what we needed. Yeah. There's our small, fast receiver that actually goes up and catches the ball or, you know, can catch the ball in stride. And, I mean, he proved that this week. Uh, and I just TJ Graham, I, I'm I'm done with him. I'm done with him. I just don't know why we keep him on this on the squad when we have the other the rest of the wide receiving court we have. And it's actually Bill coming to you next. It's going to be tough, I think, to find <clears throat> two more players outside uh, Jeff Tool and TJ Graham. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to uh, summon the ghost of Jam and Jeff Day because he hates TJ Graham and he was bagging on him the entire game. And I'll tell you what, Roscoe Parrish, I think, is a poor comparison. I think he's Donald Jones 2.0. And the one thing that Jeff says, and it's true, and even Marquise Goodwin better than what TJ Graham does, uh, does what TJ Graham does better than he does, 
but what he doesn't do and what we don't have a receiver on our roster that does do, and this is what Jeff has been nagging about now for years, we don't have a guy who just like goes up and violently yeah. goes after the ball. And there were several times on Sunday where TJ had an opportunity to make that play. We're just kind of like, you know, you've seen those guys are like, just give me that, and like, you know, grab it away from the cornerback. We have not seen a guy in a Bills uniform do that in a I mean, long but time. He can't. He can't. No, you know, he he's can't. tiny. You know, like TJ Graham. He's not tiny, but he's he's, he's he not. Looks tiny. He's. I think he's a good six one. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's. I, I would. I would have guessed he was like six one. Um, he's actually five eleven. He's pretty ripped, though, but he's the, he doesn't have that aggressive killer instinct, and we don't have a wide receiver who does. Uh, so, Bill, if you can, Jeff Tool, Scott Chandler, and TJ Graham notwithstanding, because, again, on the whole, the defense, the running game, everything else about this Kansas City game was, was pretty airtight. Can you find a Genesee Cremel Bummer of the Week? Uh, yeah, whichever ref made the ultimate decision on calling that uh, – Completed pass and incomplete pass. The Goodwin uh, play. Because that it was an unbelievable catch, and and of course we could also give the Genesee uh, Cremel Bomber of the Week to Dan Deodorf because he's a piece of oh. shit. Oh. Yeah, two weeks in a row with Deodorf, and that was it was painful again on oh. Sunday. Everything from our opponent's perspective, and yeah, that was a tough play. But again, you look back at the Calvin Johnson drop against, what was it, the Bears in the first game of 2011 yeah. or 12. Yeah. That's just how these rules are written now. And it was it was a good challenge in the sense that, like, we needed a big play. And that would have been 50 yards down the middle of the field. But, like, how is that not a catch? He, he rolls over and then a defender knocks it out of his hand when he's already done a complete rotation on the ground. I'm going to have to give my Genesee Cream Mill bummer of the week to Nigel Bradham, I guess. Only because, uh, as we think now moving forward, and I don't think this season's a wash yet, I still think that the playoffs are a possibility only because of how easy our schedule is from here on out. And these next two games will set the tone for the rest of the season. But looking ahead to the draft, I can't really think of a position other than linebacker that I would say is a, a, is truly a missing piece. Cass, I would maybe agree that tight end, we if we had a dominant pass-catching tight end, that would be a huge boost for our offense, but unless we sh- unless we shore up our quarterback position, I'm talking about like backup quarterback position. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw a name out there, Matt Schaub, probably gonna be looking for a job. I would love for him to come and be our backup. Um, yeah. I mean, the only problem with Matt Schaub is he's good enough that he's going to challenge the starter. Uh, perhaps I, it, I all indications seem to be that EJ Manuel is the guy in Buffalo. But I'm gonna give mine to Nigel Bradham because outside of Kiko Alonso and Manny Lawson. We haven't had a linebacker really step up and and yeah. and show that they belong on the field. We have situational guys in Bradham and Motes, but we we need a we need one or two more guys who we can rely on as every down backs. So, Suge, coming back to you now, as we've made mention of, it was a pretty damn good game, especially for the defense, the running game. I mean, what did we run for like two hundred forty yards or something ridiculous? CJ got his wheels back. Who is your Labatt Blue MVP? Of Sunday's loss. Uh, I'm going to give that to both of our starting offensive guards. Uh, I think that it was pretty incredible that the runs that we were getting were runs up the middle. Uh, those huge breaks for for extra yards. I mean, I guess a, a, a co should go to uh, our, our fullback or lead blockers. But 
you know, did CJ. You just, so did you just give out four? I gave out three. Yeah. I gave out three. It was a team effort. Yeah. Uh, no, but I guess what I'm saying is I'm giving it to the middle of the line. Um, you know, it's <laughs> whatever. None of you guys would have picked the middle of the line, okay? Like, hey, so, my favorite. Oh, my favorite yeah. is center. Sorry. So you know, I guess I guess what I'm saying is that. CJ usually can't run up the middle, but he was running up the middle very well this game. And it's because he had space. He's always good in space, and he makes huge plays when he's given space. And they made space right in the middle against a very good defensive team. A team that gave up, you know, minimal rushing yardage in, in, in its previous game. So, yeah, I was very proud of them. I just, it sickens me when it was like the third quarter and we had 200 rushing yards and we were still like on a path to losing the game. Um, but you know, we have to get better in the red zone. That that's the other side of this is that we can't, we cannot go into a red zone three plays in a row. Like, you know, if our, if we decide that good teams defend us too well against a, um, a run right up the middle, then we need to start changing it up. We need to start running from a spread. We need to start, um, you know, pitching it out, things like that, or, or, or play action. Now, granted, we saw how good passing Right. <laughs> but that was a, that's a very like just just getting back to the play that was actually called. TJ Graham was a primary receiver. So you're asking your undrafted rookie quarterback to throw a side like a, basically a, a cross route with the receiver gleaning across the goal line. Where all of the other defenders... I'm sorry, weren't you the one that said that he... It doesn't matter where you're taking. If you're a starting NFL quarterback, you're a starting NFL quarterback? No, you're a starting NFL quarterback, but, you know, you still... Oh, no, no, but, but the play... But, but, there's, but there's some plays that you just don't call. I, I don't think... I don't think... I wouldn't throw... Was it the play call? Was it the play call? Because we had, we had a... Execution. We had a guy who was standing in the end zone with no players within four yards in any direction. Was so it... I actually think that... So I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick... I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick was an NFL caliber quarterback, and I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick would very easily make the same mistake because his whole thing was that he's going to get... He needs to get the ball off fast. So he was locked into his primary receiver. Yeah, but any, any quarterback worth his weight and spit would have locked on to his primary receiver, seeing that it's a slant pattern, and then there's a defender standing yeah, right where he's yeah. slanting. The I mean, call, that's not a hard read to make. The offensive play call wasn't was an option for the quarterback to uh, to pass hand pass off. the ball as well. No, it was right, right. You know, it's a default is a handoff. If there was a certain coverage, then uh, he should throw the ball. Like, and he right. he can default to the to that throw, and he saw the coverage. Which was like, what they something say like a cover zero or something like that. Yeah, no. I mean, there was no guy, no safety there. So he made he made the right call, the right. Re- I mean, it's the Two right throw. Two read, throw. Yeah. but he just was a horrible throw. Well, okay. Now I want to sidetrack for a second. Bill, we'll come back to you for the Labatt Blue MVP Player of the Week. But early on in the season, Bills fans, particularly those that take to a message board, love to blame coaches. They love to blame play calling. That's the first thing they'll complain about is play calling. As if anybody knows that we're not audibling out. We run package sets, so we'd never call one play to begin with. So the whole play calling thing just drives me insane to begin with. I always had confidence in Nathaniel Hackett. Is there anybody sitting here right now that has a modicum of doubt when it comes to our offensive coordinator? Yes. 33 yes. years. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you watch other teams play, they ha- they they run... Innovative, well-designed plays. We had some great plays. Didn't we have like a, a weird end around or 
something we wait. So you guys are saying that because he doesn't call I'm, exotic no, plays, no, no, no. he's a poor play caller. No, no, no. What I'm saying, and we finally saw it this week, which got me extremely excited. But we finally threw the ball to C.J. Spiller out of the backfield. We finally ran a few screen plays. And I'm sorry, that's been CJ's bread and butter for like the last three years. I mean, was it last year he led our team in in, in yards after the catch or whatnot, you know? But but finally this week we finally saw a little bit of that. So I was a lot happier. But up until that point, I, I don't know why we've deviated away from that. I'll tell you exactly why we deviated away from it, because Andy Levice is not on our roster anymore and we haven't you can't run a screen pass unless you have all of your blockers out and ready to throw. Otherwise, it gets completely blown up. And the couple times we tried to run it, it looked ugly. The timing was not there. We ran it very well last year because we had the personnel to do it. Well, we ran it on Sunday a few times, and it worked out fairly well. But it was was Miami, right, where we started really going to the screen. Uh, uh, No, 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 sorry. That was Miami where we were getting toasted by the screen and made adjustments. But I think, you know, where, where what I see is that, you know, Bill's fans... We're complaining that, oh, open up the game plan, open up the playbook, open up the playbook, stop doing all this conservative calling, and then as time goes on and the rest of the offense gets more comfortable with the playbook, we open the playbook and look what happens, you know? I mean, obviously, this is kind of going back on what I just previously said, but the fact is that was, you know, a a tight play call that took judgment by uh, an an NFL-caliber quarterback, um, and it didn't work out. Um, and so, I mean, I, I guess that, you know, I don't have a problem with Hackett. In my, in my opinion, this game is about execution. You see teams, you see teams like Pittsburgh. They're not doing, I mean, previous Pittsburgh, old Pittsburgh. They're, they were not doing anything exotic. They were just making plays. Even New England. It's not like you're seeing these crazy end around. It's not a Chan Gailey offense. It's a very straightforward offense, but it's, predicated on perfect execution, receivers running their routes to a T, quarterbacks having the perfect timing, and, you know, everybody knowing, everyone being on the exact same page. Uh, we haven't had that in Buffalo since the Super Bowl years. Agreed. Uh, well, I, I will actually challenge you to say, because I think Fitzpatrick is the best quarterback since Jim Kelly playing Buffalo, and we had shades of it last year in shades. 2011. Shades of, shades of it. Shades. It wasn't obviously as good. So, uh, moving back to the topic of hand, Bill, we'll come back to you. You're the Bat Blue MVP of Sunday's game. Dan Carpenter. <laughs> what? You missed the field goal. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know, because I think the most fun that I had Wait, was... Did you miss the field goal? No, he, no. I don't even think he kicked the field goal. <laughs> the most fun that I had was at the very beginning, and you weren't there, Sujit, but when I yelled, Jesus was a carpenter! <laughs> ah, there you go. You have to know that Jesus was a carpenter. Well, that's at least finding some light in an otherwise dark Sunday. Cass, I'm coming over to you now. You're the Bat Blue MVP of Sunday's game. I've already hinted at it. It's going to be C.J. Spiller. Pretty easy one, but um, as in between him, Woods, and, and Spiller. But welcome back, C.J. It was good to see you run some for some big gains. Um, on his longest run, I think if he was 100% healthy, he would have lowered his shoulder and maybe. Maybe. Maybe taking it in. 61 yards is okay. Yeah, 61. But, you know, I, I would have... from scrimmage in the second half. Yeah, I would still There like, never would have been people in front of him if he was at 100%. That's, that's true. Thing. So, but uh, welcome back. Um, I, I know he kind of roughed himself up on that play in that game. I, it, it, third and one, second and one, first and one. But, uh, 
Couldn't we have given it to him? I know. Yeah, I know. I don't know why. But, the, but this is. I know. But, I know. but it's again. It's too. It's the same thing we say about easily. It's the same thing we've said about a lot of players. This is two straight regimes that takes Spiller out in goal line situations. So it's not. We. I mean, the things that we've seen a sampling of what CJ does on on, on short, short and goal situations or short, short and short and distance. Uh, short distance situations, and he, he doesn't do that well because he doesn't do well with everyone in the box. No. You know, he yeah. does well in space, yeah. and, and, and Freddie, that's fine. And Freddie does well, and, and, Most and, of the time, that, and maybe Freddie should have been our overall bummer of the week for not punching that in. Does anybody, now I don't watch college football, I don't follow college football, I kind of will glance at stats of college football when we get close to the draft time. Does anybody think that it's it's probably likely in April that we draft in the fourth or fifth round some guy out of a D2, D3 school that has great, just gets the ball and runs straight ahead, finds a gap, kind of like a Freddie Jackson clone. We look for that this year. Well, it will be in May. The draft's April. in May this year? The draft's first week of May this year. Oh, interesting. I can't wait that Ra- long. Radio City Music Hall. I might kill myself before Radio that City happens. Radio City Music Hall was already booked. What? what? Yes. yes, I don't know how the NFL got away with that, or let that get away, but what they're looking to do is do... Um, What's the combines in March? The schedule releases in April. The draft is in May, and then you go into OTAs in June. What are they going to do between March they, and May? Because nobody cares about it's the, the worst schedule. It's, the, right now, the, the, this past two weeks has been, is the greatest two weeks in sports. The World, World Series wrapping up, and then football, basketball, and hockey are all in full swing. We start getting into that March April era, and it's just ugly. Uh, wrapping it up real quick, uh, you know, one people we didn't mention in our, our Bummer of the Week segment was our secondary. I'm talking about uh, Gilmore giving Dwayne Bow a little more space than I think we felt comfortable with. And lest we forget that Aaron Williams took out Nikel Roby, which should have resulted in a Dexter McCluster 40-yard catch that would have set up a field goal to end the first half that never was. These guys didn't play a perfect game, but I'll tell you who did play a perfect game. The seven guys in front of them who forced Alex Mm -hmm. Smith to make quick passes, none of them more than five or six yards at a time. They closed in, made the tackles, and really, really held that Chiefs offense in check, including the running game to the always dangerous Jamal Charles. Well, would have been a great win to get if goddamn Jeff Toole would have put that in the end zone, put us up 17-3. to There's no doubt in my mind we would have no, won that game. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind they we would have won. They scored six points. Yeah. They scored six points. Yeah. Seven, and 17 off turnovers. Yeah, that's what I mean. They like Their <laughs> offense scored six points. So, it, you know, it comes down to one play. Making the playoffs this year is, I think, going to be a – would have been a bonus for this new regime – but I'm telling you right now, and I alluded to it last week, we are very much in the hunt. And starting this week in the Steel City, we're going to make our run to the playoffs. Go Bills. So the matchup from God v. Steelers, in which case the Steelers came in on the winning end last time in Buffalo in overtime, 2010, Fitzpatrick 55-yard rope to Stevie Johnson wide open in the end zone. We all know how that one ended. Thank you, God, for doing him like that. This is the big rematch. The showdown Stevie Johnson has been waiting for. And on paper, guys, we should destroy this team. Now, it's the Bills, and they're the Steelers, okay? The Steelers are as dangerous as we are volatile. Uh, And by volatile, I mean poised for utter collapse on any given Sunday. But man, oh man, do they have a weak offensive line, and they are 31st the league against 
the run. So I can't imagine how we don't match up well against them. EJ Manuel is probably 80% going to play. Robert Woods not, so that kind of stinks because he's his number one go-to. Bill, we're going to start with you this time. Are you feeling as confident about this Sunday's game as I am? I'm feeling great about this game. <laughs> uh, I'm probably not quite up there uh, to the point where you are. Um, and Because I'm, I'm always concerned. I think it's just the the fact that the Steelers, I think it just hangs in my head, the fact that they've always been a good team uh, and they've always somehow found a way to beat us even when we've or we've found a way to lose right. and we're very good at doing that against teams uh, but uh, but with EJ coming back I think anything's possible and uh, I think we uh, beat them 31 to 10. Now one thing that definitely intrigues me about this week's game and it kind of by saying this and ending the last segment the way I did I'm I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth Ben Roethlisberger is the exact opposite of Alex Smith we did very well to force Alex Smith into quick throws. Ben Roethlisberger will hang, 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 and try to find something downfield. I don't think he'll be able to do that against our defensive line, but I totally foresee an instance wherein Manny Lawson has him completely wrapped up and Ben Roethlisberger just stands tall and throws a 28-yard rope. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. But at the same time, I don't think that that offensive line can handle our defensive line for four quarters and allow him that time without taking five or six sacks. Yeah, you know, I think that, the one of the things that's been concerning me is that there's been several episodes during all of these games where we have a quarterback locked up and yet they just pull away from a sack or there's someone just about to sack a quarterback and we don't we don't wrap them up like there's you know if you I don't know you know we're here in Chicago we watch the Bears when Julius Pepper gets a hold of somebody that person's going down for heck when Shane McClellan grabs Aaron Rodgers he knocks him out of the game. Uh, you know, and so I think that you know we have to be a little bit more sure-handed. We do a great job of pressuring quarterbacks, but we got to make sure that those pressures turns into sacks. And no one is better than Ben Roethlisberger as a big-body quarterback of escaping a, a pressure or a would-be sack for any other quarterback, and then then going and throwing thirty yards down the field, like you said. So um, I think that's something that they should probably Mike Patine should be working on this week is closing the deal and making sure that. You know, you don't have to do the athletic play as long as you can just grab that quarterback and hold on to them for for dear life. Now, somebody refresh my memory. Did we sack Drew Brees? I think we got him maybe once or twice. I think Kyle Williams may have gotten him. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't remember it being completely void of. of but I don't think we sacked Alex Smith last week. Is that correct? No, Mario. Mario got him. Or was that a running play where he sacked him in the backfield? I would like to say that I have no idea for I, either question. Well, okay, but that, but that is relevant because we struggled getting to Tannehill. So that makes three consecutive weeks where we struggled to get to the quarterback. So maybe this entire conversation is for naught. Well, here's the thing. Like, I would like to see – it's going to be interesting, I think, of what the, how the defense performs or reacts because, honestly, in the last few games, they have kept us in the games. They have kept us, you know – with the big plays, making the making the moves that we want to, you know, that we need, and the the offense doesn't come through. At some point, are they going to throw up their hands and be like, "Hey, you a holes on the offense"? You know, I'm sick of you know picking up from you guys and losing. I'm sure they feel the loss as much as anybody else does. Yet they play a pretty decent game. So it'll be interesting to see how they react. You know, coming into this game to see if they have it in them again to say, "Hey, we're going to put up." All of our stats that we need to, can the offense pick it up? But when you think about the Chiefs and when you think about the Saints, especially the Saints, 
those are two teams that compared to the Steelers, the Steelers are a complete dearth of weapons. They have nothing out there. They've got nobody that scares you out of the backfield. They've got Antonio Brown, who's decent, but I to be perfectly honest, and I shouldn't be admitting this, I can't even name their second receiver. Their tight end, Heath Miller, is about as prototypical as a tight end as it gets, but he's certainly no Jimmy Graham. I, I was just going to jump in here and tell you that uh, we actually sacked the heck out of the Saints. We did. Yeah, so uh, Kyle Williams had one and a half sacks, Jerry Hughes had one sack, Mario Williams had one sack, Cersei and, had and Cersei had a half sack. And then in the last game, just looking over those stats, Kiko Alonso had a sack, and uh, Jerry Hughes is is credited with the sack. Really? Yeah. Oh, boy, those that are... Was, that was a, I don't remember. Like I those said... Those are completely... Okay. My previous statement was that I don't recall. Well, if that's the case, then I... Again, I, I say this, and then, of course, you know, it never comes to fruition. I think we're going to get to Big Ben five or six times. He's, I mean, he's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, right? Yeah, but so was Tannehill, but we didn't touch him until the fourth quarter. But... Well, but we we have a way of playing down to our opponent or playing up to our opponent. You know, we have a way of making no name, you know, wide receivers or running backs look like they're, you know, going to be MVP of the the league for the season. So but that defense probably for the first time in a long time is not a scary defense. And in fact, one of their best players was out of practice today cuz he had a concussion. Who knows what his that's Ike Taylor. Who knows what his status is going to be for Sunday. Um and if boy, if they're as bad against the run as the numbers show, I mean, it should be a field day for our guys, right? If they don't get nicked up. I mean, part of me wants to go back and do the same analysis that I do for the Bills against uh, for, oh, no, you didn't just spill that whole Bills and beers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you want to pause or are we good? No, go ahead. All right. Where's Betty? (laughs) You so nasty. (laughs) That poor dog going to be drunk. Um, All right. So I guess... Part of my concern is, you know, where do the stats lie? I know that the Bills defense looks like crap on the stats, but at the same time, my biggest concern is that, you know, I need to give the Steelers the same credit that I give the Bills defense, which is that, you know, your cumulative sacks don't tell you the full story about that defense. Um, I don't know. I haven't done the per-possession stats for, for, for the Steelers, but I'm just always hesitant. And I guess ultimately what it comes down to, make, maybe making a bit of a transition, is our offense. You know, our defense has been fine. Almost every game our defense has been good enough. But is our offense going to turn around? Is EJ Manuel going to show up and play the way that we all want him to play and the way that we think he has capabilities of? EJ Manuel was not lights out before he went down on injury. We all looked at him and said, oh, yeah, he's got tons of potential. He has makes some really good plays, but, oh, he also makes some rookie mistakes. Um, so I think that it's just a matter of has EJ grown in the time that he had off? Great quarterbacks do. Um, or is he just going to be the same? Is he going to be very rusty as a rookie quarterback? Great question. Here's what pisses me off the most. Um, just, just, like, just like anything else with the Bills, I feel like we never know. We just never know. It's always injuries. It's always one thing or another. Do we know what we know about this offense? No, we don't know anything because we've started three different quarterbacks. Two of them have never taken an NFL snap before their first start for us. Thad Lewis. 
Aw, snap. Uh, and actually, Thad, Thad Lewis actually did, did pretty well against the Steelers last year in a Browns uniform. That's the one that has taken a snap in the NFL yeah. this, this, or pre- previous to this season. So it's, again, like you say, well, what do we know about this offense? Nobody knows anything. We have nothing to go on. We have virtually no body of data to say one way or another what this offense is capable of doing. I know, I'm not going to say it. But there's a certain player that was our first-round draft pick this year because after I loved me some Jeff Tool last week, <laughs> he played me, so I'm not going to say it this week. But there was a player that was our first-round draft pick last year. I know he's a better quarterback than anyone else that has played for the Bills this season. Wow, that's bold. Um, yeah, presumably you're talking about E.J. Manuel, and I think that you goes without saying. You got to say it, yeah. man. <laughs> um, <laughs> But one thing that actually does also intrigue me about this game is that um, Steelers fans aren't used to seeing a 2-6 and six team. And from what I understand, they've kind of lost the city a little bit. So maybe it won't be that hostile of an environment. The weather's getting cold. Maybe people will say, eh, screw it. Uh, we, had our, we got our fix with the Pirates this year. The Penguins are back. They're doing great. Uh, maybe it won't be as hostile of a road game as it otherwise might be. They're going to be tearful towels for their tears after we wipe them off the field. Well, I'm hearing four pretty confident voices here. Uh, let's not waste any more time and get right into wild card and predictions. We're getting close to the end now, which means only one thing. It's the wild card portion of today's episode. It's the wild card, girl! And this week, uh, here in Chicago, we lost the local icon, Celebrity Chef. Now, mind you, I'm on record as not endorsing this whole idea of Celebrity Chefs. It's one thing when people can start rattling off names of all these, quote, famous chefs. I don't know who they're talking about, and I don't care. But we lost the big one in Charlie Trotter just the other day. He died of a brain aneurysm. Apparently, he had hypertension and wasn't taking his meds. So shame on you, Charlie, but at least he gives us some solace knowing that it wasn't completely out of the blue. My question for you, Bills fans... If this Buffalo Bills football team was a potentially fatal medical affliction, what would they be and why? So, I don't know if you can necessarily die from this, but it would have to be Alzheimer's. Oh, oh that's good. <laughs> you know? Is that fatal? At, yes. <laughs> ultimately. Ultimately, yes. you know. Wait, is it, okay, is, it all, is the disease itself fatal, or is it because if you get Alzheimer's, it means you're probably going to get a chain reaction of other afflictions? And I'm not saying yes. that you're, you have to go with another round. Well, well, this is for my own curiosity. It's, you know, it's basically the same thing as the Bills losing for so long that eventually they just get washed out of Buffalo. Okay. That's, that's, that's basically what happens. That there's <laughs> enough disability that occurs that yes they eventually die from something that may be slightly related but the sort other of like AIDS cause. you don't die of AIDS you end up dying of like pneumonia yeah the bills are like AIDS too <laughs> <laughs> sorry if I took somebody's <laughs> no I, and, and just like AIDS like the bills you usually catch it in a moment of ecstasy so, wow so, so the, the, the bills you know we had our we had our heyday years you know and then you get a little bit older, age starts kicking in, and you come down with Alzheimer's, and that has been the team from 1994 till present day. So someone just put us out of our damn misery and let us forget about it. Okay. Bill, have you come up with one yet? I think it's kind of like herpes. 
<laughs> Pretty, I don't know if anybody's ever died of herpes, but no, no, it doesn't. Ha- it doesn't have to be fatal yeah. necessarily. It's just the disease that reminds me of the bills. It's like one of those things that just you just forget. You forget that how bad it just can that sting. That feeling just never goes away, you know. But you keep going after. You keeps trying to keep trying to forget about it, and then you and then you go back. You you double dip. You dip for more, and it just so in this case, if we're gonna go that broad, then we could we could say that a potentially fatal medical affliction could be an addiction to heroin, which would also be very analogous to the bills. What about crack cocaine? <laughs> uh, like the like the Toronto mayor or whatever. Oh yeah, oh, the, and and that one hits close to home. Yeah. Uh, it's close to home, but um, yeah, <laughs> not till December first when it's a home game. Suge, have you come up with one yet? You're the medical doctor here, so I'm sure your mind is just reeling. Yeah. So I guess what I'm going with is it's a disease called uh, a, a a prion disease or a scabies disease i'm going go. i'm going something here exotic go. here it's uh Kreutzfeldt jakob disorder or <laughs> uh, also known you know another version of that is actually huntington's disease which a lot of people okay. know more yeah. a little bit about but it's up. a disease well, where four answers. it's a disease <laughs> where it's just like what the hell like i don't have a chance I just, no matter what, I had, I didn't deserve getting this disease. It was a genetic disorder, but it is just going to F me up to all end. And there's, just, and I'm going to have to slowly suffer to a horrible, horrible end. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is all joking aside as a medical doctor, both, all of those diseases that I mentioned are, are horrible, horrible diseases that no one should ever have to go through. But is there a cure for any of them? No. So why don't we just euthanize people who get them? Well, okay, so now we're moving into a different area. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to bridge the philosophical. So um, that's a great question, Lars, and I think that probably most doctors would probably agree with you. Uh, you know who you would agree with me? The state of Oregon, the only state in the United States that have a dignity law, which says that people can sign a thing before they get any kind of disease like that that says, if I get this, kill me. Go Ducks. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, mine is in a similar vein. I think there was that girl who went zip lining and caught some flesh eating vac- virus oh, in a pond, and then it ended up, you know, it was just slowly eating her from the inside out and from the outside is that in. Where you took a zip lining for your this, party. This literally happened within like two or three weeks before we left. Wow. Yes, um, but I, I say flesh eating bacteria or flesh eating virus because yes, it'll it'll eat away at you literally slowly, but. In most instances, you also have to watch. You have to wake up in the morning and, and oh, yep, the other half of my leg, now gone. And then, you, and then later that day, you just look down, and then most of your hip has gone with it. And it's kind of like being a Bills fan where we, for whatever reason, glue ourselves to the television screen to watch the train wreck happen slowly before our eyes. So I just, you know, that inspired me to give you one more <laughs> answer, um, which is a little bit better. And, it, you know, so... The problem is that that girl had a disease and she went ziplining and, and caught uh, what's called um, necrotizing fasciitis, which is <laughs> the external eating away and gangrene that, that occurs. So I'm thinking about crocodile. Crocodile is a, uh, an injection drug that's hit Chicago and is, was big in Russia. Uh, it's a broke-ass oh, yeah, version of heroin. Yeah. The problem with it is that it causes the same disease that you're talking about, yeah. gangrene, but it causes it from the inside out. So the way that I equate this with the bills is that you take you take the drug, you take the bills, and you get so high off of it, and it's the best high that you've ever had, and it's the most intense high you've ever had, but then the game's over. 
and it slowly starts to eat you from the inside out. And that's exactly what Crocodiles does, and that's exactly what the Buffalo Bills do to me. Well, uh, I know coming out of this Pittsburgh segment, at least, uh, this topic notwithstanding, we were feeling pretty up about this Buffalo Bills team. And I said it last week, and and I'm sticking to it now. I've never honestly felt more confident, all joking aside, that this team could make a legitimate run at the playoffs. This 3-6 and six team feels light years from the 3-6 and six team of 2012, and the schedule permits moving forward. But the next two games, this game in Pittsburgh and then back at home against the Jets, will we'll decide that entirely. So, beginning this week, Bill, who do you have coming out victorious? Bills, 31. Steelers, 10. Same prediction as last week, I believe. Uh, I'm going 27-21 Buffalo. Suge. 42-38. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go 24-9 Buffalo. Uh, four picks for Buffalo. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Billsandbeers.com, best way to communicate. Love hearing from all of our listeners. Subscribe on iTunes. Tell everybody you know in Bills Nation to listen in. And we'll be watching on Sunday, hopefully to come back to talk about the Jets and our four and six Bills. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Bills. Go Bills. Make me wanna Show!